Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me as always, my best friend, Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? I'm great. That's so nice. That's so nice. It's true. Chris, I'm I'm doing well. I hope you're doing well. So I mean it's a real it's a real three-way tie between you, AC, and Biscuit. So <laughs> But I mean like look, but no shame in that one. No, no shame at all. I'm competing with man's best friend. Yes. So, what chance do I have? War Rocket Ajax Intercontinental title winner, all dogs. That's right. We have a great show for everybody this week. It is, it's a big one. I don't think people understand how monumental this guest get is for Chris Sims specifically. For me specifically, yeah. It, if you ever read the ISB back in the day, you probably know how huge it is for us to be talking to Paul Grist, the creator of Jack Staff, and lots of other great comics on the show this week about the, the new series from Rebellion, Smash, that uh, is a hoot. And it's also a hoot to talk to Paul about it. So we'll be talking to Paul later in the show. Yeah. Uh, Paul Gris, the creator of my favorite comic book. Uh, someone that I've been a fan of for 20 years, never had the pleasure of uh, interviewing and, and talking about how much I love his work until this very night here on this episode of War Rocket Jack. So it is, it is an exciting night for, for us here on the show. And we hope it is an exciting time for you as well, dear listener. That's right. Monumental. Remember that. Yes, with that, we've got business to take care of before we talk to Paul. Uh, and that first piece of business is thanking our newest supporters over on Patreon. That's right, Matt. These are the people who have gone all the way down to 659 Gimmick Street, which is still in the haunted mansion district i mm-hmm. believe yes it's yes. next to this this is next door to a haunt a haunted mansion across the street from the filmation ghostbusters headquarters across the street from the filmation ghostbusters headquarters which is another spooky mansion correct yes uh and of course you know you know what's down there at 659 gimmick street yeah it's uh it's the Gimmick Street Disney Store. Right. Featuring uh, featuring lots of, of tie-in merchandise to the Haunted Mansion. Exactly. I knew you were going to get there. Yeah. I got it. Uh, I'm going to forget this joke by next week, so I will just say that uh, what used to be there was uh, the little local convenience store of the, the Haunted Mansion district. Uh, you know, the bodega. <laughs> What's interesting about this particular Disney store is that it has merchandise from 
Oh, you thought the bit was over, listener? No. It we, has got, mer- we got jokes on jokes. It has merchandise from the Haunted Mansion ride. The Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie. Mm-hmm. And that recent Haunted Mansion movie that nobody saw. You know, it's got it's got merchandise. It's, it's got 999 pieces of merchandise, but there's always room for one more. That's right. That's right. That trailer for the new Haunted Mansion movie had the most baffling joke I've ever seen in a movie trailer. I know nothing about it. So please, please tell me before we move on with telling people how they can give us money. There's a joke in that movie trailer where I forget even who was playing like like a lady in a crystal ball. Like there was some character who was like a lady in a crystal ball, right? Uh, Madame Leota is the character. She asks for money for like a reading. And what she asks for is three dollars. <laughs> That's weird. And then Danny DeVito gets mad about that being too much. I mean, I mean, look, you used to be able to get comics for two ninety nine. That's true. Back when DC Comics was holding the line, I used to hold the line at two two ninety nine. It's Jamie Lee Curtis who's the woman in the crystal ball, and Danny DeVito calls her request for three dollars highway robbery. Uh, for uh, like a, a a fortune reading, like a fortune yeah. telling. I don't know, man. That's a pretty low price. I feel like it's experience. I feel like it's rather reasonable. I I would say better than reasonable. That's a, that's a steal. Utterly baffling joke. Anyway, Chris, do you want to hear the names of our newest Patreon supporters? Yes. These are the people who gimmick street, et cetera. uh, But they also went to patreon.com. The most important part of the show, financially, you'd think we would take it a little more seriously. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Warrocket Ajax, uh, where you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to help us keep doing these extended bits that amuse us. And that's pretty much it. Our newest Patreon supporters are Jenna Fletcher. Oh, thank you, Jenna. And James Marcucci. Thank you, James. If you would like to be like Jenna and James, you almost team rocket. Almost. You can head over to patreon.com slash rocket Ajax. And as Chris said, kick in as little as $1 per month to make sure that we keep doing this show every single week that we do every story ever monthly, a two hour long special of ranking stories on every story ever comics catch up. We're reading the, uh, Mark Wade, Chris Somney, black widow, for this month's episode of Comics Catch-Up, and uh, we will be recording that soon. Movie Fighters and Snack Situation, those are all supported by your support on Patreon, and the actor strike is over. So we got to start watching movies again, Chris. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't want to, though. Well, we've made this bed for ourselves. As a patron... You get every single one of those shows I just mentioned completely ad-free. Uh, you get all of them totally ad-free. You can also get cool stuff like bonus content, be that bonus audio that we record, outtakes that we cut out of the show, bonus writing that Chris and occasionally I do that is Patreon-exclusive. 
Those are things that you can only get on our Patreon. As well as line-stepping privileges for our segments currently Every Story Ever and Thursday Night Raw. And uh, we do an annual t-shirt. There's a level where you get the t-shirt. And uh, and there's there's other cool stuff over there on the Patreon. So if any of that sounds like your jam, like you'd be interested in that, patreon.com slash Ajax is the place to uh, to help us out. If you're unable to help us out monetarily, you can help us out in other ways. You can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. That would help us out a whole bunch. Or you could just spread the word about the show, word of mouth, is the way to grow a podcasting audience. So uh, if you want to hop on social media, let folks know about the show, or just tell your friends when you see them, hey, listen to this podcast I like, that would be a big help for us as well. Chris, now that we've taken care of that, it's time for some checks and wrecks. What do you say? Let's do it. What would you like to check in with this week, Chris? Matt, I want to keep this short uh, because I feel like I might talk for a bit about my wreck this week. Okay. Uh, But I do want to mention that uh, lately I have been feeling just ridiculously burnt out, like Mm. tired. I'm I'm kind of exhausted from work. Uh, Like I'm, I'm just... The change of the seasons is hitting me really hard. I'm exhausted. So I did something that I very rarely do, uh, which is that I I took a couple of days off work, uh, which, having worked for so long as a freelancer, is a terrifying prospect for me. Uh-huh. And I just, like, I I did the thing that makes me recharge a little bit, which is that I did nothing. Uh, so, so I gotta say, if you are feeling the burnout, if you are feeling the exhaustion from, from everything, uh, that's happening, you are not alone in that. And you should try if you can to, to do the thing that makes you feel a little bit better. Uh, cause what I did was, uh, I, I kind of sat on the couch with my dog who I love for a couple days and engaged in my soon-to-be-recommended piece of media. Textbook Mental Health Days. Exactly, exactly. I like, and, and my, my uh, place of employment was, was really good about that. that like, I, I asked uh, the people I worked with, I was like, hey, is it going to break anything if I just, just chill? And they were like, no, you should do what you need to do, dog. So... Uh, that was nice, and I, I I do feel lucky to have that. But I hope you do too, dear listener, and, and you specifically, also, Matt. I I will be taking one tomorrow, actually. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. What have you been up to uh, this week? Well, Chris, uh, people who know about my YouTube channel, who have looked at my YouTube channel recently, uh, probably know that. I have continued my Alan Wake 2 stream, and I am oh so close to the end of the game. Uh, So when I do take my mental health day tomorrow, uh, I will probably be finishing Alan Wake 2 on stream. And uh, I gotta say, I have really, really enjoyed playing that game. There are so many 
like Morrison-y, I guess you might say, meta-jokes in that game. As as you know, Chris, Alan Wake is a writer. And... (laughs) I heard you mention that, yes. Yeah, and um, a big plot point of the game is the book that he's writing is changing reality. And... As you approach the end of the game, I don't think I'm giving away a spoiler here. There's one part where you, as Alan, you play as two different characters in the game. Um, but this specific part is Alan like walking through the street at a local festival. And everyone at this festival is talking about his book and how much they love it. But what they're talking about is the events of the video game you just played. Okay. Love it. Love it. I comment a lot about the the sort of life of the writer that that game presents in my playthrough, if anybody's interested. So that's what I've continued to be up to, is is playing through Alan Wake 2. Soon to be finished. Soon, Soon to be finished with that playthrough. Time for some recs, Chris. What do you have to recommend? Matt? Let's talk about Sony's Marvel Spider-Man 2. Mm. Next on, on my queue of games to play. Uh, well, I have good news for you, Matt. I have good news and bad news. Okay. Uh, the good news is, it's good. It, it is very much uh, more Spider-Man. If you enjoyed uh, playing Sony's Marvel Spider-Man 2018 for the PlayStation 4, remastered for the PlayStation 5, uh, or Sony's Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales for the PlayStation 4 and 5, mm-hmm. then then you're going to enjoy the playing of this game. Uh, if anything, I think... Uh, w- I liked it so much that I, immediately after finishing it, I started playing Sony's Marvel Spider-Man 2018 uh, again, because I never did the DLC. So right. I was like, well, I gotta I gotta find out why Yuri Watanabe is so mad. When you replayed Sony's Marvel Spider-Man 2018, mm-hmm. did Spider-Man have his original face or did he have a new the new face? Oh no, I'm playing it I'm playing it on the Steam Deck. So new face. So he does have his Tom Holland face. Okay. <laughs> which which he also has in his uh in, in in the new game as well. He's got he's got all kinds of his Tom Holland face. Yeah, which is kind of a shame because I did like the the non Tom Holland looking Spider Man of the the PlayStation Four version. It's wild that video games are like that now, <laughs> where like they can be one way and then they're just a different way, and the old way that they were is just forgotten, or not not forgotten, but kind of gone. It is. It's a little weird. I I thought it was weird that they like. I mean, look, you and I like them Tom Holland Spider Man movies. Sure. I thought it was so weird that they did that. <laughs> like, like Spider Man doesn't ha- like. If you tell me this guy's Peter Parker, I'll believe you. Yeah, any dude who looks a certain way within certain parameters is believably Peter Parker. Yeah. 
Especially if, you know, he's wearing a Spider-Man costume and takes the mask off. Yeah, exactly. As I was saying, if anything, I feel like they have done a solid job of, like, improving. Like, the web swinging is actually better. Which is shock follows shock. Because, as you might remember from Spider-Man 2018, the web swinging is good. Yeah, it made you feel like Spider-Man, as every review of that game said. I mean, they're not wrong. (laughs) They were not wrong. The most important thing a Spider-Man video game can do is make me feel like I'm Spider-Man. That's why, I mean, that's why those Batman games, I liked them. Because I felt like I could rock up on some dudes and just completely wreck house. Yeah. That's great. Uh... The bad news is that there are things that I desperately want to discuss with you about this game, but I can't because you have not played it. And I have I have texted you a couple things yeah. that are, are more minor than minor spoilers, I think. I, I said, uh, like, I told you the lizard was in it. Kirk Connors? I think I knew that anyway. I, I mean, I know some, like, basic trailer stuff about the game, but uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, I, I, Kirk Connors, the lizard is in it, and you know what he I don't does. I want to say what he did or what he does in this game, but I mean, y- you know what he did. We all know what he did. We all know what Kirk Connors, the lizard, did. Yeah, he ate a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and to make matters worse, it was his boy. That does make things. It's. I mean, it wasn't good to begin with, but that's even worse. No, it's 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 bad. It's it's certainly bad to eat a, any boy, but it's to eat, any, to eat any human being. It's even worse for it to have been his boy. It's 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 much. It's on a personal and professional level. It is worse than it is his boy. Someone DM'd me on Instagram to ask if I had played it. And they were like, oh, I don't want to spoil anything for you. But the stuff that is, like, the stories that are referenced in this game are wild. (laughs) And that is an accurate statement. I cannot believe, Matt, the... If you had asked me to list off the stories that I thought would be the the comic book touchstones and inspiration for Sony's Marvel Spider-Man 2, wouldn't have come up with these. That's exciting, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I you you need to you need to immediately put like eighty hours into it because there is a thing that happens in the mid-credit sequence that I need to talk to you about. And I unfortunately need to talk to you about it. Right. I have tried to talk to other people and they don't know. (laughs) They don't know the way, you know, so, well, I, I plan to possibly even start it tomorrow after finishing Alan Wake after finishing Alan Wake too. So exciting. Uh, uh, the one thing that I will say, I, I do want to get ready. I'm about to go off on, a, on, on one of Matt Wilson's patented brands. Start the clock. 
<laughs> uh, the one thing I will say that I was really disappointed in, uh, much like the first game, there's like a like go around the city and and take pictures of stuff, little side mission, mm-hmm. and it sucks. Like it's not like mechanically bad or anything, but like in the first game, you were taking pictures of like. Avengers Tower and like like you know real things like Battery Park and whatever, but also like you know Alias Investigations and and Marvel comic stuff like uh, Murdoch and Nelson yeah. attorneys and law. I remember that yeah. office being one of the places. And in this one, like there's a whole thing where it's like, well, Robbie always told me not to take pictures of of the city, but to take pictures of New York. And it, and so it's like Peter goes and takes a picture of a farmer's market. And then Robbie's like, ah, the farmer's market. I like to get fresh vegetables there. And it's like, buddy. It should just be pizza places. If, hey, if, hey, Robbie, I got you another picture of a pizza place. That's New York. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a, like, here's a guy outside Radio City Music Hall and he's practicing his lines. Where else can you see actors? Like, great, yeah. Like Radio City Music Hall is great. Um, also, also the Baxter buildings in this game. Wouldn't shouldn't I maybe take a picture of of where the thing lives? <laughs> that seems a bit more exciting to me, personally. I don't know, man. Like. You you couldn't come up with 30 Marvel Comics things, like Marvel Universe things, to go take pictures of? Was the Baxter Building in the first game? The Baxter Building was not in the first game. And it is in this game. Okay. And I do not consider that a spoiler, because I saw that building from across the city, and was like, that building looks like it's got the, the Pogo Plan launcher on it. And I went to go look, and sure enough, it's the fucking Baxter Building. <laughs> so, like, they put the stuff in there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Y'all put the stuff in there. Maybe t- I don't give a fuck about the farmer's market, Robbie. And honestly, it wasn't a very good picture. And this is why Jonah's publishing the paper again. Yeah. Uh, Latvian Embassy? There's a lot of stuff you could do. So much stuff you could do, which they do in the first game, and I don't know why they didn't do a similar thing. That is my only like nitpick with it. I otherwise think it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the ability to switch between Miles and Peter and have it feel like it is a game about Miles and Peter, and it's not like you know, uh, it, I think our, our buddy Jordan Wick called it. Uh, it. It doesn't feel like a Peter Parker game with Miles Morales in it. Or a Miles Morales game with Peter Parker in it. It's a game about Spider-Man. And even like the Mary Jane missions are much more fun than in the first game. Where I didn't mind them, but they are much more fun now. Uh, so Spider-Man 2, it's good. You almost certainly have it. If you if you are at all interested in playing it. Uh, yeah, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Hurry up and play this game. I will. I will. I I am planning to uh, get it and play it probably again starting tomorrow. My recommendation now that we can talk about movies again, even though I've 
already kind of done that a little bit. Uh, but I, we can definitely absolutely do it now. Um, we are a little bit past spooky time. Halloween has, has come and gone, but if you are a little bit in the, like still in the Halloween spooky mood and you want to watch a, a scary movie that might be on a streaming service, I'm recommending one. It's, Benito and I briefly talked about it on the Halloween special as a movie I hadn't seen yet that he said I should, so I did. Um, it is, uh, I don't think it's Brandon Cronenberg's debut film, but it was like his first big feature film. It's called Possessor, and you can watch it on Hulu. And the sort of like, I don't know, poster art for it makes it look a little more abstract and weird than it actually is. But it is, I I guess my uh, warning for anybody listening to this, because, you know, we're we're a show, we're an anti-bummers show, generally. The end of this movie could definitely be viewed as, as sort of a bummer, but the, not sort of a bummer, a bummer. I won't even qualify it. The ending is, is a bummer. But the concept of the movie itself being about a company of essentially assassins that gets hired to enter the bodies of other people to kill people that they're hired to kill is such a wild high concept it's it's the kind of high concept that we tend to love on this show as well. And uh, it ends up being like a much more personal story for the lead character who is a, an assassin that works for this company uh, than you might think it is. And it's just really well done. It's a really well made, really good movie. So if you want to watch something a little bit horror-ish, even though uh, Halloween is over, Possessor is what I'm going to say you should check out. And with that, Chris, let's talk about some comics. Let's do it. Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you give me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there. And that's great. The only problem I've had with it is... It doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which I, is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. 
And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And Paperlike feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for Paperlike products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. The winner of the Texter's Choice Award for this week is Avengers number 7. A, yeah. a comic that you were very excited to text me about, Chris. Yeah, uh, because I, I feel like we cracked the code. <laughs> uh, I said that, that Jed McKay's first arc on Avengers felt like a, and I mean this in a very positive way, like a cover band version of, of JLA New World Order. Uh, the first Grant Morrison Howard Porter uh, arc, and I I remember saying I don't remember if I said it on the show, but I know I said to you that I hoped it it continued along these lines, and I even made a joke about uh, like oh are we going to see you know Black Panther wrestling an angel in the next arc? Well, no, we're skipping ahead a little bit to the story with the key where the key fights Connor Hawk. And that's what this issue is. It's <laughs> a million percent that issue of JLA, like that two issue story arc. And I'm like, hell yes. That was eight, and nine, right? Yeah. In JLA. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's the, it's the, the, there's the, there's the, there's new world order. Then there's the story with the angels and Zariel. And then there's the right. one with tomorrow woman. Which, what is Tomorrow Woman but the better vision? <laughs> uh, man, if you haven't read that story where Tomorrow Woman comes back in Our Man by Tom Pyre and Rags Morales, that's a good house comic. Yeah, g- give me all the give me all the all the people who were really into Grant Morrison's JLA are now are now doing all the comics. Give me more of it. Put it directly into my veins. I love it. 
so while so while we're digging into it, it's the, the similarity is everybody on the team except one person is trapped in in the JLA's case a simulation like a virtual reality simulation basically in this story by nightmare like in an actual nightmare where like they're a little bit different and things are a lot worse Mm -hmm. right yeah and and in both cases one member wakes up and in this story it's scarlet witch who like in the nightmare vision is dead and then she wakes up and she sees the vision is alive and then she's confronted by the twilight court at the end uh so so i think that part of the story is maybe going to go in a somewhat different direction but uh the notion of like everybody being in a fake reality where they look a little different and stuff is a lot worse is a lot like that JLA story. I, I mean, look, it is not an, an like that JLA story was not the first time that idea was done. And it's, it's certainly, uh, there, there are, are, plenty of stories and plenty of divergences between these two stories in particular. But after that first arc, I'm like, I I have the Rosetta stone and it is a (laughs) a run of comic books. I have read 1 million times. And speaking (laughs) of 1 million, I can't wait for the Avengers of the 853rd century to show up. Oh yeah. That's going to rule. Honestly, it shouldn't even be that. It should be all the characters from the MC2 universe. I think we mentioned Jed McKay, uh, but uh, CF via, is on the art on Avengers and has been from the start. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good. And, and just so we're clear, do not mistake what I am saying for a complaint. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't get over how the Thor in the Nightmare universe <laughs> was wearing his Mike Diodato costume. Was wearing his Mike Diodato costume, yeah. <laughs> And everybody else is dressed like they are in the comics now, except for Thor's in his Mike Diodato costume. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was wild. Wild. Totally wild. Uh, Alright, up next, another wild book. Another wild issue. Batman number uh, 139. Which, like, Chip has dug into the Joker before by have it, you know, having that whole alternate universe story revolve around the Joker who didn't become the Joker and wanted to. Mm-hmm. But now this story is just the Joker. It's Chip's Joker story. Yeah, but and let me tell you something. And, you want to talk about you want to talk about comics that are are picking up those those Grant Morrison threads. Uh huh. Yeah. Because uh-huh. folks, I I shant mince words about it because I'm going to say this, and you know how I feel about it. Uh, and that is that this is the story where the Joker not only is going to but wants to fight the Batman of Zurinar. <laughs> exactly so. 
<laughs> yeah. Joker's like, oh man, there's a there's a version of Batman that's only Batman with no Bruce Wayne <laughs> controlling your body? Hell yes, that's who I want to fight. I love this shit. Oh yes. And and here's here's the reason I love that. Because Joker saw the Batman of Zerinar in Batman R.I.P. That's that's right, yeah. Yeah, he saw that version of Batman 10 years ago, 13 years ago, and was like, oh, I gotta get this dude back. (laughs) I mean, I guess in the compressed DC timeline. Yeah, it was like like five months ago or whatever, but... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like... Joker fighting, Joker fighting the Batman of Zero R. That's that's hell yes. I don't know who Chip's writing these comics for, other than me. Yeah, but boy, he's writing them for me. What are we supposed to be surprised that the Joker knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne and all about his travels as a young uh, man? Him knowing about all the the world traveling stuff is new, but he's known like that's a um, a Scott Snyder thing. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Fully knowing that. Okay, uh, Batman is Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I think I remember that now. But like, yeah, all of his mentors from Batman the Night, Joker knows about them too. Yeah. So Chip's tying in his own stuff here, like tying his own stuff all together. Yeah, which I I, I appreciate. Chips Darkie um, saying, "Hey, here's here's the two things you got to read to know about this comic book. It's uh, Batman R.I.P. and the thing I wrote. Yeah, that's a bold <laughs> move, and I appreciate it. And I I also appreciate how on this last page, this the 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 splash with all the different Batman of Zeranar. There is an Adam West Batman of Zeranar. Mm-hmm. There's a Dick Sprang Batman of Zeranar." There's a fucking Michael Keaton Batman of Zeranar. Yes. There's a Batman the Animated Series Batman of Zeranar. And a Batman Beyond Batman of Zeranar. Yeah, bud. And then a Mike Mignola. Yeah, and, and, a, and a Frank Miller. And a Frank Miller, yeah. Yeah. Shit's wild. Oh, man. Like, Jorge Jimenez, I, I think we've talked about how good Jorge Jimenez is, but... Man, he's good. The, the, the thing that I love about this page is that the the Adam West Batman of Zeranar has Batmite ears. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And also, like as you pointed out, the Batman Beyond of Zeranar, which that's I mm, yes, I need <laughs> that in my life. <laughs> uh, one last book we're going to talk about is Transformers number two, which. I don't have a ton of new stuff to say about it. No wrestling moves in this one. No wrestling moves in this one. There is... Well, I, it, it continues what the first issue started. But where the first issue was like big action, big action, big action, a big part of this issue is kind of taking a breath to really get to know the Autobots to start with. Cause like Optimus Prime accidentally steps on a deer and he is very concerned and upset that he's done this. 
Which all leads up to him like giving the history of the Autobots and the Decepticons war and saying, I brought our war here to this planet, so I have to protect it. And like, I've always kind of known that this is Optimus Prime's deal, but hearing him say it out loud and and like seeing him be a compassionate character on panel. That's the most I've ever liked him. It is like a, a a very illuminating character moment, but also like a really like smart moment of Optimus Prime being like the planet where I come from, everything is metal. I'm yeah. not used to things being squishy. <laughs> and then the contrast between Optimus's reaction to finding that out and Starscream's reaction. Yes, yes. Uh, because uh, another big part of this issue is like a essentially a jet battle and uh, some like U.S. military guys are are trying to shoot down that's Starscream, right? Uh, that's Starscream, or I think it's Starscream and Jetfire, yeah. Jetfire, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the big reveal of that is that one of those fighter pilots is Duke. Because we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it, baby. In issue two. Do you know how excited I am to see Daniel Warren Johnson? draw snake eyes doing anything. <laughs> what like, do you, what, no. Let's start, let's start the poll now. What do you think, what wrestling move is snake eyes going to do? Great question. I mean, hurricane Rana, right? It's gotta be hurricane. I was going to say poison Rana, poison Rana for sure. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I just like, Issue two, it's like, y'all have seen Transformers. Y'all know what the Transformers are about. We're putting G.I. Joe in here right away. Yeah. Um, but we get, then, that, we get that close up. Of, of the name tag, yeah. Of, of Conrad Duke Hauser. And then, uh, but then, like, even after that, the end of the issue, like, really ups the personal stakes for the human characters in the book. This this one issue does so much narratively. It really does. Like it's 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 easy to talk about like the spectacle and and kind of fun action stuff of this book, but like it, it's not like we forget Daniel Warren Johnson is a really good writer as well, like a really good storyteller. But like you know, it it bears mentioning. It really does. It's so well done, and. This shared Hasbro universe uh, at Image at Skybound is called the Energon Universe, and boy, oh boy, they're doing it! All right, Chris, uh, that's it for our comics reviews. So it's time for us to have a chat with Paul Grist. Very exciting.
program this week, I am incredibly excited to uh, welcome a new guest to the program. Uh, you may know him as the creator of my favorite comic book, Jack Saff, as well as things like Kane, Mudman, all sorts of stuff. Uh, he is here to talk to us about his new book from the fine people over at Rebellion, Smash. Paul Grist is here. Paul, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Oh, no problem. Hello. Glad to be with you. My pleasure. I have written about this before. I, I am someone who has read a lot of comic books. I have a lot of strong opinions about comic books. I tend to be hyperbolic about comic books. <laughs> but there is only one comic that I have ever referred to as my favorite comic book. Uh, and it is it is Jack Staff. Oh, thank you. And before we get into Smash and the really, really fun uh, first issue that we have read, I... I don't even know <laughs> I don't even know how to ask you the questions that I want to ask because when I read that book it's like watching a magic trick. It's everything is so perfect in terms of storytelling like the layouts the the use of the page the use of negative space the way you juggle multiple stories. I just as someone who has has written comics and thought about comics a lot, I read that book and I just don't know how you do it. <laughs> so how do you do it, Paul? Oh, I can't give away the secrets. It's it, it's <laughs> like, they, they kind of get uh, the uh, the comic society of Great Britain would come round and, and sort of take away my pencils. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so I, I won't. I'll try to be a little more specific so so you won't run into the that kind of trouble. One of the things that I always find so impressive about your work, and we do get uh, a bit of it in in Smash as well, is how the fluency you have with juggling multiple characters, multiple storylines, keeping things moving. You know, every few pages it seems like there's a new idea or a new set of characters. And I've always wondered, like, is that something that has come naturally to you? Do you have like the Paul Levitt's note cards on the wall for dealing with all that stuff? Uh, no, I, I, I don't have, have any uh, uh, notes or anything. I, I'm, I'm basically just busking when I, I'm, I'm sort of uh, doing these sort of things. The, the thing with uh, Jack staff, in particular, as opposed to Kane or Mudman, is that uh, the, the idea was to try and recreate the idea of the weekly anthology comic, which is very much a British tradition and uh, for, uh, for children's comics. And so every sort of... Uh, uh, two or three pages would be one story, and then you'd move on to the next story. And uh, so my idea with Jack Staff was to try and recreate that spirit of having several different stories within a single issue, but having a linking character who would be Jack Staff, who would basically crash through all of these other stories 
So everybody else has their own... Well, which is why every character, when they're introduced, uh, sort of uh, at the start of their three pages, has their sort of character logo and and sort of uh, their, their kind of like introduction before the story starts. And then it kind of... Uh, they they have their little sort of uh, four page section, and then it moves on to another four page section. I think it's quite confusing for an American audience because they're not used to that idea of the the kind of anthology comic like that, and so they're they're tending and, and obviously because it, it 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 is like a single story, they're reading through it as a single story and kind of wondering why are all these introductions happening? Why is uh, sort of, why are we getting these big logos every time? And it uh, sort of, uh, but you know, it seemed like a good idea to me at the time. And that's always my, my kind of main reasoning for things. If it's good, do it. <laughs> well, it works. It turns out that it's very good. Thank you. Well, I did it. That is the ultimate advice. If it's good, do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to that advice from now on. <laughs> yeah, just try and make the good comics. Yeah. Don't make the bad ones if you can help it. <laughs> I I am curious. I could list off all of the the characters in Jackstaff probably off the top of my head. Uh and there are quite a few, but I'm wondering if there were any that are particular favorites of yours. I mean, obviously, you know, you're the one putting all of them in the story, but like, I'm a, I'm a Becky Burdock guy personally. Oh, well, she is. The, well, really, she's the main character. I mean, I mean she, sort of, it is her story that's being told in the, the kind of, uh, in the comic, but, uh, sort of the adventures of Becky Burdock, Jack Staff's girlfriend is, is, is not sort of, uh, uh, sort of probably the best title, so I, I just went with Jack Staff. <laughs> you say that like she's not called Becky Burdock Vampire Reporter, which is maybe one of the best titles that has ever been. Well, good. Is she your favorite, or, or uh, do you have... I, I imagined you coming up with Rocky Reality, and and... In my head, you wrote that down and then laughed to yourself and maybe took the rest of the day off. Well, mainly it's sort of... uh, When you're doing comics, you're spending a lot of time on your own and you have to make it fun. Yeah, yeah, sort of, you have to make your own entertainment, really. The uh, uh, sort of... uh, The idea with... I mean, and, and some of these things are not planned out i like like i said before i'm I'm kind of improvising a lot of the time and so i I basically start out with a fairly loose idea of where i'm going to go what what sort of uh, the the direction of the story is going to be and then i i I will kind of uh, uh sort of figure out how i'm going to get there and and sometimes, sort of, it may not always sort of uh, be how I think it's going to be at the start, and and because I, I'm I'm sort of writing it and drawing it, 
it, I, I sort of will chop and change things uh, as sort of uh, as I go along, which is a kind of freedom or liability. I'm not quite sure which, which you don't have, obviously, when you're writing for somebody else. Uh, sort of, uh, I, I mean, sort of when when you're writing, you write the script, send that off to the artist. The artist draws it. And then the artist sends the the artwork back to you. You can't then go back and say, "Actually, I've re- rethought it. I'm not going to have that five page section there. So we'll throw throw that out. We'll we'll have this page, this 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 happening instead. That's that's not a way to kind of uh, uh, bring along your your artist or any other kind of person with you." Paul, you you mentioned earlier the sort of like. American reader maybe not being used to the idea of an anthology in in a in a superhero comic, mm. which is interesting because if you go back and read like early golden age superhero comics, the, the comics in which so many of the most iconic superheroes were introduced, those are all anthology comics. And you know, that structure was very prominent in American comics for a long time until suddenly it just kind of wasn't. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean that, that, that's it. I mean, sort of people are used now to sort of, uh, if you've got a character's title on the cover, then that's the person they're reading about. And that's yeah. the person they expect the story to be about. And sort of, uh, and you know, obviously other characters will be part of the story, but sort of they, they expect quite a large amount to be about that person whose name's across the cover. And uh, so sort of uh, having something like Jack Staff where it doesn't follow that kind of rule is sort of, uh, whilst it may be that there, there is a long-standing tradition of that kind of thing within comics, but sort of for it's not the sort of thing that people are used to. So I'm just trying to re-educate people. <laughs> well, you're really onto something with the idea that like that's a real divide between American comics and British comics, which have never lost that. And and even just looking at Smash, like there's a a frame story, and it's kind of got that anthology feel i mean the fact that the you know the story is about the spider a, a character who harkens back to co- you know some some early days of comics makes that even clearer but i wonder if you notice any other sort of key differences between british and american comics do you feel like you have to do things in a different way when you're working for an american publisher when you've done work for Marvel or Dark Horse or somebody like that? Or do you not feel constrained by that at all? Well, I haven't really worked for a British publisher in the kind of uh, uh, sort of traditional comic sense of of doing the uh, sort of uh, traditional uh, sort of anthology kind of comics. So when, uh, when I have done... Initially, when I when I started, I, I was drawing for uh, uh, a comic 
here called Nikki, which was printed by, published by a company called DC Thompson. And it was a girls' comic. And uh, so that was a weekly comic. And I was doing sort of like little short half-page strips full, uh, or what single-page strips and uh, a cover for, for the comic, like every week. Uh, Sean Phillips was in the same comic at the same time, so uh, sort of uh, it's it's sort of of an interest to to sort of uh, sort of where where we both kind of started out, but we uh, I've never certainly never written anything where I, I've had to work within like sort of a two or three page story, uh, and. And then uh, sort of had to kind of like do the whole kind of start off your story, introduce characters, develop characters, set up a, a sort of uh, a, a cliffhanger, and then sort of uh, finish within sort of three or four pages. When I, I've been writing, when I've been writing my own comics, it's always been uh, sort of uh, the sort of full. 24-page issue comic. When I've written for Marvel, again, it's it's you know 20-page comic. When I've written for DC, 20-page comic. So it's that uh, there's there's no at, at this point there's no real kind of difference between the two because when I've been doing my own comics, they've always been done for the American comic format. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that you you mention American readers being confused because for me the thing that I really liked about Jackstaff in addition to all the the craft stuff which I think is excellent was the feeling of reading a comic and instantly getting what felt like an entire universe of characters which is what I like about you know, Marvel and DC comics. Like I'm a, I'm a big shared universe superhero fan. So when you would get all of these characters, everything felt so complete in that same way. Uh, and in a way that I found very welcoming uh, that I, I don't always get from, I mean, I mean, you know, Dread certainly has has quite a bit of world building in it, but like when I, when I read 2000 AD, it feels very distinct. Whereas that felt very superhero to me, the idea of this universe with this long history. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, I was certainly trying to create sort of a British centric superhero world within uh, a single comic. Or, or sort of superhero town, maybe, if not a world, certainly a town. It's it, all you need is a town. Marvel, Marvel Comics has proved that over and over again yeah. over the years. You just need one city, and you're good. Uh, but to to shift into talking about Smash and and to make all of my uh, gushing about Jack Staff relevant, I I read it. And there's a lot of, of familiar faces and ideas. I mean, Matt has already brought up the spider, but there's also, you know, the claw, uh, who, it, like, it, it seems like there's a lot of uh, 
a lot of familiarity into this. Uh, and I know that the that a lot of the characters in Jack Saff were like takes on on different ideas that had been in comics before. Like I, I believe the Spider in particular uh, was one certainly. And I I was uh, I was so excited <laughs> to to read this and be like, oh, I know these guys. Well, that's that's it. It's it's, it's very much if if you've uh, sort of uh, it, it's very much in the tradition of Jack Staff. It it's sort of uh, the 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 whole thing was sort of uh, you you may well be familiar with the the original idea I had with Jack Staff was to kind of do was was because I wanted to do or I, I suggested to Marvel that I could write a Union Jack story, a, a Union Jack comic for them. They never got back to me about that. And and what I, I found out afterwards was that the only, only like sort of uh, earlier that that year, they had already done a Union Jack miniseries. So whatever I'd come up with, that there was no way Marvel would be going to publish another miniseries or another series about that character at that point in time because they'd already done their Jack, uh, their Union Jack, sort of for for that year. So, uh, uh, sort of, whilst I was waiting to hear back from them, I I, I, I was thinking about what I would do, and I, I kind of thought, well, actually. Sort of, uh, I, I would rather I didn't have a Union Jack. I, I, I was thinking, well, I, I'd be better off if they don't actually come back to me and ask me to do a Union Jack because what I, I, I could do is actually something that I would never be able to get away with within uh, uh, a, a sort of uh, within a Marvel comic. There's, there's become a little bit of kind of. Uh, Myth, I think, basically is, is is sort of the sort of best word for it. That I actually had an entire plot written out and uh, sort of uh, and and sent that off to Marvel, uh, and then a sort of uh, an entire proposal. And it wasn't anything like that. All I did was say, "Would you be interested in me doing a Union Jack story?" And the only idea that I actually had before I actually started working on it uh, and making Jack Staff, and that I would have used within the sort of Union Jack comic would have been the character of Becky Burdock, because like I was saying, it was kind of like she, she was like one of the early key characters. And, and that's very much why she is like sort of one of the focus characters of the story in Jack Staff. And uh, so when I, I realised I got the freedom to be able to do this, if I was going to self-publish it, I I thought, well, sort of what other kind of uh, basic superhero characters can I rip off? I mean, be inspired by in a good way <laughs> that is in no way kind of going to get me into any legal trouble further on down the line. And, and sort of... Uh, I went back to like sort of these kind of childhood kind of characters that 
had, had basically flourished during the 1960s and, and basically hadn't been published in the UK sort of since like the very early 1970s. And I thought, well, sort of this, this is, you know, we've, we've got this kind of British history that sort of nobody's really bothered about, nobody's doing anything with. So I'll take that. I'll use that. And, uh, that that's why I started using kind of characters that they they weren't I, I I didn't write them to be sort of the characters from the nineteen sixties comics, but I wrote them to be sort of recognizable to readers who might have been familiar with them and so that they can think, Oh yeah, yeah, that that's sort of a bit like the character that I read when I was reading comics when I was little. And so that is sort of the, the idea of like introducing characters like the claw, Tom, Tom, the robot man, uh, Charlie Raven. And, and sort of, there were all these kind of ideas that, that I, I thought, well, yeah, that that's similar enough. And it, it's kind of adds a richness to the comic uh, as a richness to the story and and sort of that there's a level there where it's it's kind of a tribute to uh sort of the british comics that have gone before uh so that that was my idea sort of when I, when i was using them and and writing the initial uh jack staff comics i started reading jack staff uh, when uh, Image published the uh, the paperback collection yeah. of all the black and white issues, and then the the new color stuff, uh, but I know it was it was a few years earlier than that. It, it started in the late nineties. Is that right? It was uh, two thousand was the first issue. Uh, it it feels like it is a comic that was like. So, like, right on the cutting edge of that idea of, oh, here's here's this thing that's taking these these ideas that I remember from comics and stories when I was a kid and using, you know, recombining them in this really fun new way that, like, you would see so many times over the next decade uh, of, of people doing that same thing. And, and I always felt like Jack Staff was an unsung... Uh, pioneer of that particular style of comic but yeah we're, we're seeing like i said a lot of those ideas coming back in smash and i'm i'm curious as to why you picked the characters that you did uh, matt and i are both big fans of heist stories so i was stoked uh when when the spider showed up uh to to steal this <laughs> to steal a, a haunted doll essentially yeah, well, I mean, basically, uh, sort of uh, rebellion, because uh, w- what happened with all these characters I, I was talking about was that uh, they'd been produced by comic companies earlier, and and sort of uh, their actual ownership had had become uh, sort of lost over the years. And uh, because sort of various comic companies have been bought and sold, and it 
it sort of it was uncertain as to who actually owned the rights to all these characters. What Rebellion have done is they've gone out and basically bought everything. They, they, so, so they now own all the kind of British comic characters that have been published by, like, sort of the traditional uh, publishers, uh, the traditional kind of uh, uh, weekly comics, and uh, sort of uh, all, all the ones that aren't owned by DC Thompson, who are a separate Scottish publisher. All the characters sort of that, that have been published through history are now effectively owned by Rebellion. So they, they kind of uh, are doing a lot of work in, in sort of publishing archive material and uh, sort of, uh, but they're, they're also now looking at, at sort of uh, producing new material with these characters. They'd already done a couple of years ago a smash comic which had sort of uh, uh, separate stories but like separate eight page stories featuring the spider uh, sort of the steel claw and various other characters and uh, so this this is ba- the the new smash is basically kind of uh, picking up what they done there and and thinking about well, sort of how they could carry on introducing sort of the characters to a wider new readership and they'd already it's like sort of uh, decided that the spider was like their probably the strongest character that they had and uh, so the idea which the editor as came to me with was we want to do effectively a spider comic but have him sort of but but we want to introduce other characters as well so we want to have him basically he sort of trying to commit crimes but being stopped by other heroes from from our comic library so we can have uh, you can the the steel claw. We can have uh, uh, Robert Archie. So it was the idea was to include these characters coming up against the spider and trying to foil his plans. So that that was the basic idea which they had, and and they said, could you come up with something like that? So yeah, I th- I thought well this is my chance to actually get my hands on these characters for real uh so uh the my basic idea and sort of was was to have 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 like sort of set off in the 1960s and have him sort of committing a crime which is foiled by this steel claw and then we kind of move through the ages so like the the next issue will be set in the 1980s and we'll be up against Robert Archie, and then the next issue, the third issue and final issue, will be set in modern day, and he'll be fighting Adam Eterno. And sort of because one of the problems with uh, sort of doing a trying to do a story through which kind of 
extends over a period of time was that there's so many characters in the 1960s and early 1970s, but then it came to pretty much a full stop. And so it becomes much more difficult to have that there are loads of characters I could have had sort of going up against the spider in the 1960s. But when you get to the 1980s, 90s, 2000s, there's a bit of a uh, sort of, uh, there's just an aging population of heroes there left to battle him. <laughs> uh, so uh, sort of because the, the Steel Claw, uh, sort of because set, setting in the first issue in the 1960s, it's like, well, that, that's when sort of uh, the, the uh, spider was first active. That's when the steel claw was first active. And he's uh, like very much a, a sort of like, well, I, I think of him as being a very, the steel claw is a very 1960s kind of spy sort of uh, uh, secret agent type character. And uh, so, uh, and so that's very much his time frame, his time period. Archie, on the other hand, because he's a robot, sort of, uh, well, you could ha- move him later on down the timeline and still have the same character without him being older. You can have him perhaps a bit rusty around the edges, a bit more falling apart, but essentially he's the same character. He had supporting characters who would... Uh, who uh, would be too old to kind of carry forward. So I, I, I've given him new supporting characters, but, but sort of Robert Archie is able to be the same character. And then with Adam Eterno, he's a character who basically travels through time and uh, sort of pops up uh, at certain moments when uh, sort of he's needed to uh, fight the good fight and to, to save the world. So basically, he can come in at any time. So he's like sort of pushed to like sort of the, the modern day time because he's not changed because he, he's, he's sort of always the same character. So it, it allows me to use the characters without having to kind of get too bogged down in explaining uh, sort of why they're still sort of uh, the same character they were uh, sort of 50, 60 years ago and without sort of having to reinvent them as sort of like a different version of this character who used to be in the comic and then it all kind of gets bogged down a bit in too much of explanation. And what I, I was wanting to do was to try and keep the characters as they were, uh, sort of as much as possible without having to update them, without having to reinvent them, without having to uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of explain them. So that, that was my, the, the basic idea for it. I, I wonder if the idea of it, the book, I know there was another book called Smash before that, but... <laughs> it's it's hard not to look at this book and understand that Smash means that all of these different characters from British comics history are being smashed together. 
but also you're smashing together genres. Like just within the first issue, there's some horror in the, the opening sequence, uh, the, the part that takes place in the 1860s. And then it becomes a spy heist story. And then it sounds like issue two is like a sci-fi take. So, so was that on your mind or are you, are you thinking about you know smashing together genres in this book? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> no, no, you're probably thinking it, it sort of uh, about it too much. There, no, I mean, sort of smash is is sort of uh, uh, sort of the uh, a tradition is is basically a title that was published in the uh, 1960s, and uh, it, it's sort of uh, I, I think it was chosen because it, it's basically the the most sort of uh, superhero type sounding title that we had uh, here in the UK the smash it's punch it's it's like it, it's there's going to be fighting there's going to be fisticuffs it's going to be uh, sort of uh, that kind of adventure title so none of these characters I don't think, actually appeared in the original Smash comic. But they, they all were featured in different comics, like sort of the, the sort of comics like Lion and uh, Valiant uh, sort of, uh, and others. I, I don't remember. And, uh, but Lion and Valiant, they, they were like sort of the two kind of, uh, two of the, two of the, the main ones that, uh, uh, I think Lion had, uh, the, the original spider in, uh, Valiant had the steel claw in and also had, uh, Janus Stark. So, so the idea was to like have all these, these different characters. And I, I, I wanted to include Janus Stark because, even though he doesn't actually fight the spider or, or come up against the spider in any way, because he's like sort of a hundred years beforehand. So there's no way I could kind of uh, uh, get him into like sort of a modern day setting, unless you like sort of bury him alive for a hundred years and then dig him up and have him like sort of be the same character. And who believe that sort of thing? So, <laughs> so, so uh, I, I, so, that was the idea of having an introduction with uh, Janus Stark where he kind of sets the ball rolling and, and introduces like sort of the, the kind of the, the, the kind of object that will then be like sort of the, the thing which kicks off the, the story, which then runs through the next three issues. Uh, the, the time has flown by, uh, but I do want to say an equally good title to Smash would have been There's Gonna Be Fisticuffs, I think. But <laughs> Rebellion should get on that. But it is the time of the interview where we like to shift it over to our listeners to see if they have any uh, questions for you. And Matt, if the people want to get in on these conversations that we have with uh, creators like Paul Grist, each and every, well, not each and every week, but often here on the show, uh, how exactly can they go about that? Uh, well... There are two places you can go to ask questions for our guests on More Rocket Ajax now. Do not go to the site formerly known as Twitter. We don't use that anymore. Please don't try to ask questions there. But you can ask us questions on Blue Sky, 
we are at uh, warrocketajax.bsky.social, and that's one place where you can ask questions for our guests. Or you can head over to our Discord uh, if you're a member of it and ask questions there. We'll put out the call for questions there. If you are not a member of our Discord and you want to be, uh, just ask for an invitation, and we will provide you with one. And uh, Paul, Hello? Uh, here's a question. Here's a question for uh, from one of our listeners on our Discord. It's uh, Kate Bishop, who wants to know what's your favorite dinosaur? A Triceratops. Solid Good choice. answer. Good Solid answer. Uh, another. Listener from our Discord, Brad, the renegade dope dog, wants to know, how did that wizard from that comic read my mind? It's magic. <laughs> the, the, the red elephants in Denmark. Oh, bit. It's scary, isn't it, sometimes? <laughs> Another instance of not wanting to give away the secrets, I think. Yeah. Here's what that is, right, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I, when uh, I say anything, Jack Staff is like watching a magic trick. That is very literal. Yeah, that that was sort of, uh, uh, sort of one of the things where you kind of think, will this actually work? Uh, but I mean, you you, 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 you basically you you're pushing the reader in a certain direction. I mean, it's like any kind of magic trick. You you're kind of pushed into uh, sort of you pushed. Anything like that it, it is uh, any any kind of mind game like that. It is you're, you're usually being pushed in a certain direction so that you you kind of you uh, you, you think you you've got options and you haven't got options. It, it's all kind of uh, uh, sort of fixed, really. Such a great bit. I, I love that bit. <laughs> so good. Uh, Patrick ODB, old dirty boss dog on our Discord, wants to know, Paul, how did you adapt your art style for different projects? Does it take a deliberate effort to draw in a more grounded, gritty style like you did for Grindle Tales, rather than the more energetic and surreal style of Jack Staff or Mudman? Uh, to a certain extent, it's uh, uh, sort of the uh, it's it's not so much. It, it, it's basically drawing something that, that kind of fits the story, but it's also there's uh, there, there's, there's the fact that I was younger when I was doing Grendel, <laughs> so so it's so it's like and and I, I was doing Grendel and I was doing something for another uh, so, uh, that that was already established by Matt Wagner. It, it's that there's a certain kind of style and approach to that that uh, uh, sort of uh, that, that that is expected or, or they want for the comic so uh, sort of and then you kind of uh, so so it's, it's basically trying to do a more action orientated uh, adventure than the I had been used to at that point because, uh, as I say, before then I'd been drawing mainly for the girls' comics, so it had been lots of teenage girls and, and sort of uh, 
uh, that sort of thing. And also doing more humour-based comics when I was doing my own comics. So it was sort of, uh, so that, that was very much kind to trying to kind of beef up my, my style and be more uh, sort of uh, traditional action sort of uh, American type comics uh, sort of, but yeah, I mean, you, you kind of uh, try and uh, uh, sort of make things appropriate for the story that uh, you, you're drawing. But I mean, that, that's, that's sort of, I, I think I, I'm sort of, uh, I'm not sure I could do that at this point anymore. <laughs> when, when you're doing your, your own stuff, uh, when, because I'm, I'm writing it and drawing it, I can do things and not have to worry about what the expectations of the writer mm. might be. I mean, as a writer, I might have expectations of what I can do and then find out I can't do it, but that, that's a different problem. But as, as an artist, I, I'm sort of, uh, you know... I don't have to worry about what the writer will say about it. He's got just as much problems as I have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris has made his adoration for Becky Burdock very clear. Uh, But Hot Spring Summer on Blue Sky wants to know, Paul, if you have a favorite intrepid comics reporter of all time. Uh... Well, I do like Jimmy Olsen, if he counts. Yeah, sure. And uh, sort of uh, one of the things I wanted to do for uh, DC Comics was to to do a uh, Jimmy Olsen uh, comic and uh, sort of actually did a a few pages and sent those off to DC Comics and never heard from them. I remember that. uh, We... When I first started working at the comic book store back in the early 2000s, uh, I don't know if you, if you posted those somewhere, but uh, a, a guy I work with had them like printed out, and he was like, hey, if you like Jack Staff and Jimmy Olsen, check this out. Yeah, they, they have been printed in, in like a couple of places. And uh, sort of, uh, they always have to have like sort of a notice saying, uh, sort of, uh, DC comics take no responsibility for this, and this is not a, <laughs> a, a sort of a, we a sort of. Uh, but yeah, that's the nearest I got. This I think is going to have to be our last question. It comes from Margot on our Discord, who wants to know, uh, Paul, can you tell us a story about Grant Morrison? Tell you a story about Grant Morrison. If you have one, I, I don't really have one. I sort of, I mean, it's, it's sort of, uh, uh, sort of, we, we kind of, uh, uh, sort of hung out a little bit, uh, but we, we were all a lot younger at the time, and uh, and and had much more hair than we had have now. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, I mean, we were sort of the. Uh, sort of, uh, and he was a lot more normal then. He was like, <laughs> uh, sort of, he was a more ordinary person. He hadn't become Grant Morrison at that point. He hadn't reached that that kind of level of consciousness. So yeah, yeah, he he was fine. 
Perfect. I didn't Perfect. Put on the fiction suit and switch places with King Mob. Yeah. No interest in sunspots yet. No, no. <laughs> Got it. Well, our guest has been Paul Grist. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Paul. Uh, before Thank you. we let you go and before uh, you uh, head off, please let all our listeners know uh, where they can find your work, where they can find you online if you wish to be found, and uh, and uh, all of that. Any plugs that you might have, this is your chance. Oh, well, if you, if you want to uh, uh, find me, I'm on Facebook – uh, I'm on X and I'm on threads as Mr. Grist. Uh, so at Mr. Grist, and that, that's, that's sort of me. And I've got, uh, a new comic coming out at some point called, uh, well, it's just a, a new old comic called Kane. That, that's what I'm working on at the moment. Ooh, I didn't know there was going to be uh, more Kane. That's exciting. So that that's sort of been my uh, preoccupation for the last few months. Well, for the last few years, if I'm honest. But uh, it's it's reaching a point where it will be coming out soon. That is very exciting for me. Our guest has been Paul Grist. Paul, thank you so much for being on the show and for for staying up super late to to do it as well. You're welcome. Um, please go get some rest, and uh, and everybody should check out Smash. Yes, please do. Please do. Thank you very much. Thanks once again to Paul Grist. I would commit federal crimes to get that Jimmy Olsen book. I can't believe they turned it down. I can't believe they didn't even answer. Like, like, but they, like, again, I've seen the pages. Like, they had pages. It's shocking. Chris, I didn't ask this of Paul because, one, we ran out of time. And two, when somebody's new to the show, I don't know if I can introduce them to all of our quirks. Uh-huh. I have no such compunctions. We did get a question from Stone Cold HCC. Would you like to hear it? I would like to hear it, Matt. Stone Cold wanted to know, hey, how come Halloween ain't in the Bible? That's a good one. Hey, Stone Cold, you're back. You're back to top form. <laughs> well, that's because uh, there was no Halloween until Christians adopted the uh, the pagan holiday of Samhain. After which, well, Billy Corgan named his pay per view. Also, there weren't saints to celebrate All Hallows Eve. On All Saints Day on November 1st, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> Billy Corgan named his NWA pay-per-view Sawin and lost his deal to be on TV on the CW because there was a a segment, like a, a skit, involving uh, cocaine. I'm sure I've seen references to cocaine on the CW television network. But they didn't want a... They didn't want a wrestling show, I guess, where, what's his name? Uh, Father James Mitchell is just like up in the stands with a table with a bunch of people around him 
like snorting white powder up his nose on screen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm, that you know what? That an argument could be made for that, but I'm gonna side with the Sin Men on this one. Yeah, come on. I love the Sinister Minister, Father James Mitchell, who gave uh, who gave two fingers to this business. That's true. That's true. I personally, I think the CW was just looking for an excuse because they were gonna. Uh, go after NXT instead, which they did. Ooh, okay. Anyway, Stone Cold, everybody. <laughs> we hope you answered your question about Halloween. I I hope we did. I think we did. I think we did too. Have you checked? Have you checked the Bible in Hell from the major motion picture Constantine? That's a great question. Extra chapters in. The Book of Corinthians, the least spooky book of the Bible. That's true. God bless the movie Constantine for adding new chapters to the Book of Corinthians. Do you think? Do you think? Okay, I don't know if you've read the Book of Corinthians, but it's the one people read at weddings. It's like it's not a spooky book. There's also do two of think, them. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they made? First Corinthians, the one that has extra stuff in the Hell Bible in the Constantine movie, because of the Sandman character, the Corinthian? It's possible. Uh, also, you know, like, First Corinthians has that whole thing about what love is. Maybe the extra chapters have what hate and fear are. <laughs> I mean, they specifically have, like, devil stuff about the end of the world. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Matt. It's a good movie. I we saw that movie. We watched that movie for Movie Fighters. <laughs> it's a good movie. I like it. Hey, we'll be back next week with a new episode. We so will be. Back that. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll have fun next week. We hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, until we return, don't forget that Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. As are abortion rights. Drag is not a crime. And cops aren't your friends. But we love you. We love you. Yeah!